All right. Good afternoon, or actually, good evening, everybody, I should say. <laughs> uh, it's been uh, a crazy couple of weeks for me. I know uh, everybody's got uh, a lot going on right now. We just came out of Thanksgiving. Um, so hopefully you all got uh, a lot of good food, got to spend time with your families. Um, definitely uh, an important thing. So um, I do have a few articles for us to cover tonight. But with us tonight, we have uh, Dan. Alex uh, from the computer lab at school. We got Rob, who's off camera right now. He is driving, so hopefully he's doing so safely. And then we've got Dave over here, uh, old guy Dave, and, uh, and then myself. So uh, unretired hey, Dave. Unretired Dave. Yeah, yeah, definitely unretired Dave. So Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit of what's going on, man? Uh, absolutely. Um... Uh, two, couple, two weeks ago, I was appointed as the interim uh, CEO of Flight Test, and uh, so uh, that in includes FTCA. So uh, um, we are. Uh, I was brought in because of my um, business background, four decades of uh, working in uh, corporate in uh, sales, marketing, development, uh, uh, services, uh, mergers and acquisitions, etc. So. Uh, Got good background, and where uh, we've had the privilege of working with uh, Josh Bixler, president of uh, Flight Test, uh, for the last couple of years, and the uh, uh, FTEZ ID, the remote ID module that uh, we brought out through um, uh, Flight Test, was something that uh, I spent a lot of time on. They got to know me, and uh, so I've been brought on to uh, effectively team with Josh Bixler, uh, where he's the uh, continues to do the work he does as a visionary and designer, and uh, I will take on more of the day-to-day uh, -day operations as the interim CEO um, and uh, doing what I know how to do and uh, um, getting uh, getting things done. So it's busy. Uh, it will be a, a part-time uh, assignment, so I will be able to dedicate time to FPVFC, and uh, it's a, a great combination uh, of uh, of our skills or my skills plus the uh, uh, plus flight test. So it's keeping me out of out of mischief. So it's uh, been a little busy as a, as a startup uh, effort. Excellent. So definitely uh, <clears throat> hope to see uh, continuing greatness out of flight test and uh, um, amazing team to work with. I'm sure. Uh, so. Um, and then uh, I've got a couple articles we'll cover real quick. Uh, we've got uh, some uh, new FAA approvals. Uh, we've got uh, some zipline news and a uh, little bit of uh, some enforcement action from, uh, I don't know specifically the FAA, but definitely in California, um, some stuff going on there. So I uh, just wanted to cover that stuff. And uh, let me see if I can get my tab going here. Here we go. <clears throat> All right. So uh, FAA has greenlit Percepto to manage a 30 drone remote fleet control. So this gives them the ability to operate 30 drones with a single operator. Um, and this is 30 drones simultaneously. Um, so uh, Surging automated drone technology company Percepto has added another Federal Aviation Administration achievement to its growing list. In this case, allowing the company to remotely operate up to 30 of its UAVs using only one pilot. Percepto, known for its cutting edge autonomous inspection and monitoring solutions, has secured a significant milestone with the FAA granting a nationwide waiver. 
This paved the way for a single operator to oversee a full fleet of up to 30 Percepto autonomous drones simultaneously. Um, for heavy industry sectors such as oil and gas, utilities and energy, this FAA approval brings a revolutionary shift. So Percepto does a lot of um, sorry, the ads are insane yeah, are. on this website. <laughs> um, Get yourself an ad so, blocker. You know, I, I probably should at, at some point. Uh, so they do a lot of inspection, infrastructure uh, inspection. Um, I know they, I believe they've been heavy in Mexico from some other articles that I've read uh, doing inspection on energy, uh, the energy sector down there. Um but, uh, yeah, this is a pretty big deal, allowing autonomous drones, uh, one pilot to oversee 30 of them. Um, definitely showcasing the uh, uh, enhanced capabilities of autonomous uh, UAVs. So um, they say uh, it lowers the cost for new entrants seeking to utilize drones to enhance their operations for the first time, encourages more market players to establish new drone program, which is now more cost effective than ever. So um, definitely a good deal there. Only controlling 30 drones at once. That's nothing for like a light show. I know, right? Uh, those incorporate hundreds, but the cool part about this is it's nationwide waivers. So um, it's not in a specific zone, locked to a specific. Uh, sure. Uh, it's still 29 area. more than I've no. flown at a single time. True story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I've seen somebody fly two at once. That was uh, that was interesting. <laughs> May I uh, add in on this? Absolutely. There's a, um, a there's a, an every Tuesday event called uh, Desi's Coffee Connections, and uh, it's by Desi the Drone Diva. And uh, Desi is a wonderful woman out on the West Coast. And if anyone is interested, it's at uh, 9 a.m. Pacific or noon Eastern every Tuesday. Um, email me and I can get you an introduction and you, you, you can join. Uh, it, she'll put you on a, a email um, and you can join if you'd like or if you can. So one of the interviews and so people speak every week and uh, it's it's useful. And um, Josh Bixler and I have uh, spoken on Coffee Connections. And so this this week it was, I'm probably going to say it wrong, you, you, if you, you, V-I-F-Y, how it's spelled. And Robert Cheek was the individual presenting, and they he claims that they've got over 90% market share of um, swarm drones and in the United States. And uh, so they have a program where they start with, where they recommend that you start with 20 drones and then get up to 400 as quickly as possible and they a lot a lot of really clever uh, business sense about what it is that they're doing. They've uh, they were the uh, uh, provider behind uh, the two Orlando shows last week. And as I said, their equipment they they claim they have ninety percent share. The reason I bring it up, and the fellow Robert Cheek. Now he he would say this. However, it sounds interesting. He said. I think in commercial UAS, Swarm is going to be absolutely the dominant mode, using a single drone to execute an operation is going to be passe. 
I would agree with that. I, I honestly premise. would. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, let's I mean, if you think about it from a multitude of, of different scenarios, right? So if you're doing agriculture, uh, it's much, much faster to cover ground with a swarm of drones than it is a single drone, right? Or if you're doing infrastructure, in, infrastructure inspection. So let's take something huge like Golden Gate Bridge, right? Faster to do it with one. Exactly. And and look at the footage, or faster to do it with fifty. Collect all the footage and have uh, a bunch of analysts look at you know everything that, that was recorded. I'm sure someday so, in the future you could even do real estate listing photos with three or four drones. Just send them up. They already like know a 3D scan of the space, know where they want mm-hmm. to take pictures. Go out, do it, fly back. He was all automated. Talking, he was even talking about wedding engagements with twenty or thirty drones, and I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Why don't we need to get quiet first? (laughs) Or they have to fly far away with long lenses on. They like like the noise. (laughs) Um, Redundancy, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Telephotos and uh, new Mavics. A lot of batteries. A lot of batteries. Good battery business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think of it, like, from a perspective of, like, a nano swarm, you know, doing something or or, um, scanning technology or anything like that. I mean, more is better is faster, you know, that kind of thing. So So I'm trying to figure out how do we, as recreational, get our hands on some of this software technology that is swarming. And uh, Alex already it's open sourced. Yeah. Yeah. So they were using uh, PX4 as a base. But I I was going to mention that ArduPilot is into this. So to me, this, this is something even if you know if we're doing it on a on a tiny scale, if it's you know, and if it's uh, five or six, but this is something that uh, I would encourage anyone to uh, to get involved in. And of course, Robert Cheek did say, of obviously we need to get a um, it's a, a multi um, UAV um, waiver for your Part 107 because we're limited as Part 107 pilots to fly one UAV and one pilot. So that's the first one. And then, of course, uh, VB loss. Um, they're getting... Uh, Recreational isn't limited to one pilot or one the, pilot. One aircraft pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Just put on a light show for, for the fun of it. There you go. <laughs> it was solely for my own enjoyment. That someone else saw it? That's uh, not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, and some other friend of mine all... sold tickets to it. Oh, hey, you know, I have. I didn't. I, I didn't financially no, benefit. <laughs> I had no knowledge of that, Judge. So, uh, but anyway, uh, interesting premise on that. This is going to be where commercial goes. So, I don't think it's where recreational will go or won't go as quickly. But really interesting. Um, view of uh, and prediction for the future and uh hope, hopefully i didn't uh hoodwink uh that article too much no not at all not by any stretch i think it's good information and it's it's definitely um something to think about and i mean at first when you think about drone swarms it's like ah gosh there's you know um i i would imagine the public perception of something like that would not be taken very well but at the same time when it comes to uh, a man hour perspective um it definitely starts to make sense and as somebody who manages many many people you know you start to look at things from a man hour perspective as opposed to a per employee kind of perspective so i was you asking know, 
I was asking Robert, what, where's the break-even uh, break point on number of hours because you've got a larger crew versus the capital investment of the equipment? And so he was like, you and I should talk. So. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, how many man hours does it take if you have 10 people working on one project, you know, for eight hours, then you just spent 80 hours on a project. And um, it starts right. to... to so the resource cost goes up and the capital is up but just like you said earlier so you got a bridge to uh, to inspect oh well we need an hour as opposed right. to a day yeah right that's yeah, great 100 so all right so <clears throat> zipline uh this is coming from drone dj zipline makes its first us bv loss drone delivery flight without ground observers um so this is using their uh first gen uh um I think it's called the PT-1. I'll have to double check later here in the article. But uh, leading global instant logistics and drone delivery specialist, Zipline revealed it has set another precedent by conducting its first beyond visual line of sight flight in the U.S. without any ground observers. Zipline dropped the news in the closing hours of Friday, saying it had completed its first U.S. BV loss flight without ground monitors just two months after it had gotten FAA approval to operate those missions. That open-ended authorization is considered, uh, I don't even know what that means, but sine non quo for drone companies of all kinds being able to scale their activities, but particularly those in the aerial delivery business. So uh, we've talked about Zipline many, many times, and I'll continue with the article here, but um, Zipline kind of cut its teeth delivering uh, vaccines and medical equipment uh, in Africa. Um, long distance, they use uh, this current form uses a launcher system, kind of like uh, what you would see uh, on an aircraft. It's a catapult that, or aircraft carrier, I, I should say. It's a catapult system and then a uh, a hook and release or a hook and arrest uh, system to catch the drones um, and get them uh, equipped and, and back on the launcher fairly quickly. Um, so, uh, Let's see. Uh, however, so this, securing so this is the Go aircraft. Ahead. This is the aircraft that they are using in Uganda or Uganda. Yes. And so, interesting that they did not use the wishbone propeller and the uh, multi rotor, but rather went went to their um, fixed fixed wing that goes out uh, has a radius of seventy five miles, so uh, full range of one hundred and fifty miles because it's fixed wing. Yeah, so the, I don't think the uh, they're calling it the P one is the the this one, and I think the other ones are the P two. Okay, but uh, I don't think the they they uh, and they touch on that here in a little bit. But uh, um, let's see. So uh, securing what up until now have been very rare FAA permits to conduct BV lost flights without human observers is the first huddle. From there, recipient companies must migrate their tech from arcane approval filings into flesh and blood or in this case, rotor and onboard tech action. Um, that's a transfer to operational reality that Zipline CEO Keller Renato Clifton has wasted no time celebrating. Um, Zipline yeah, conducted I, the milestone full, go ahead. I looked it up, sine non quan, an absolute okay. condition of. So oh, okay. That, that makes go. sense, yeah. Learn something new. Why not just say oh. that? <laughs> really? Gotta drop some fancy Latin quote. Hey, you know. 
Uh, Zipline conducted the milestone flight with one of its P1 delivery drones in the Salt Lake City area, where it has UAV delivery business with local healthcare and medicine providers. It said it launched the craft just an hour after getting final FAA clearance to begin BV loss operations without ground observers using onboard perception systems in their stead. With that precedent under its belt, Zipline says it plans to conduct all its drone deliveries in Utah as BV lost flights without terrestrial monitors and will soon expand that mode across the U.S. to other UAV networks. Um, let's see, Oki uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher her name, uh, but Okima uh, Moranu, uh, Zipline's head of global aviation regulatory affairs, explained the import of the BV loss breakthrough. Earlier this year, Zipline became the first company in U.S. history to receive approval from the FAA to leverage an onboard perception system to enable autonomous long-distance drone delivery flights, and today we made history doing just that. This is widely considered the holy grail of approvals for scaling drone delivery options. It means that Zipline can now go from serving a few thousand homes to serving hundreds of thousand home, uh, thousands of homes within the U.S. So, so as it does... Interesting. Zipline to be the poster child for how do you get uh, delivery approval in the United States? Mm -hmm. And uh, Akimo is uh, uh, one of the uh, people responsible. So they have a, uh, a very uh, active governmental affairs uh, organization. She runs that. Their development is superb. They've taken the, uh, the business outside of the United States, gotten it approved, making money at it, and they come back into the United States. So it's a really clever uh, business model. And they've designed the aircraft to fit the mission. They haven't stuffed an aircraft into uh, set missions. Yeah, I, I definitely encourage anybody to uh, watch some of the um, Zipline videos uh, where they cover uh, the uh, launching. Uh, I think Mark Rober did a really great video with them. Uh, where he actually gets to load it uh, or like basically fulfill an order, get it loaded, put it on the wings, get it on the launcher, that kind of thing. So uh, it, it's definitely a really cool video. Uh, definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. So it says they uh, plan to operate its cut, cutting edge automated P2 platform coming next year. So that's a good deal. So. All right, so a little bit of enforcement action here. So um, a 62-year-old Laguna Beach man was placed on one year of probation and ordered to do 120 hours of community service Tuesday for launching drones near three aircraft, uh, risking dangerous crashes. Um, Alexander Milonovic pleaded guilty July 13th to uh, three misdemeanor counts of unsafe operation of an unmanned aircraft. Um, U.S. District Judge also fined the defendant $7,500. On June 19th last year, he directed a drone at a father and son in an open cockpit gyrocopter on Father's Day off the coast of Crescent Bay Beach in Laguna Beach, prompting the son who was flying the aircraft to make an emergency evasive maneuver. The defendant also admitted launching a drone on July 26th of last year at the Discovery Channel Shark Week blimp. <laughs> <laughs> like like what <laughs> like greg grimandu would say don't be that guy <laughs> and he also admitted to launching a drone at a u.s coast guard helicopter missing it by about <sighs> feet never a good plan 
Mm. He's doing terrible things, but it's interesting the wording they choose to describe what he did. You know, like launching a drone at, right, causing it to do an evasive emergency maneuver, which may have been, hey, there's a drone over there. I'm going to go left instead of right. Uh (laughs) Right, you know. Yeah, but very, uh, yeah, so legal, legal aid, But uh, yeah, so uh, 120 hours of community service, one year of probation, and a $7,500 fee. I mean, to be honest, that's he probably got off light on all. Doesn't of it. sound like the FAA got involved if that's what the charges are. Well, it does say federal prosecutors, so maybe the FAA didn't get, but there's definitely some federal uh, federal involvement here. So. I didn't dig too deep into this, but uh, I just thought it interesting. They generally don't publish a whole lot of uh, enforcement stuff related to Agreed. So. Agreed. Hey, yeah, I... yeah, go ahead, Rock. Yeah, so on that enforcement side, I'm not familiar with that particular case, but I'm on a lot of other cases that I have been part of. Uh, so what we do is we have a federal counterpart that we refer to that's employed through the FAA called the LEAP Program. Yeah. And then those guys are the ones that actually work with CFOs and the federal entities. Because a lot of these violations that the FAA addresses are civil, but there's also a lot of federal violations that are actually criminal that the feds can charge people with. So that's kind of the process that that goes through. The FAA will impose civil fines, but then they will work with their federal partners to actually go after the criminal side as well. Gotcha. Cool. Well, that's great information. So that answers that question. All right. Well, like like Dave said, don't be that guy. Uh, <laughs> that's that's not, a, not a good thing. So um, definitely fly responsibly. <laughs> All right. So this is in your backyard. Uh, and actually, I was just in Plano not too long ago. But uh, the Plano City Council is looking uh, more closely at a growing form of delivery. Sit- council members are examining the hubs that drone operate out of to see if regulations are necessary. The drone industry told council members last month that they are the first in Texas to consider an ordinance that would regulate drone hubs. Last month, Councilman Rick Horn summed up the major concerns brought to the city's Planning and Zoning Commission. There's concerns, there were concerns about noise and there were concerns about privacy, he says. Uh, the FAA regulates drone flight paths and altitude, but city regulations determine where they're based for takeoff and landing. Um, <clears throat> Christina Day, the director of planning, explained that the way Plano ordinances are written, those types of hubs are not allowed. And it took me a second to understand this part. So um, they were approached by an operator about coming to Plano, and this is a, a drone delivery uh, operator, about coming to Plano. And our zoning ordinance states that this that if there's an unlisted use, that it is disallowed. So if there is a un, if if something is not in an ordinance to be allowed as a basically a, a zoning then they automatically reject it. So there's been no ordinance in Plano, apparently, to provide specifically for drone delivery hubs. And so because of that, uh, it's basically automatically uh, not approved. So um, planning and zoning voted six to two in June to create an ordinance that would allow drone hubs, but it would also require them to be shielded by eight-foot masonry walls. Um, that requirement did not sit well with the industry. I'm not uh, sure what that even drone. means. So I think the, the deal is, is that, um, 
the they want to shield the hub with eight foot masonry walls to eliminate the noise and eliminate privacy concerns. But the funny thing is, is that doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> as soon as they fly over the walls. <laughs> okay. Just just throwing it out there. But apparently there's um there's another part here that says uh, other businesses have to meet these screening requirements if they have open storage. So I don't know what open storage that they're prescribing for these these drone delivery businesses, but um, the idea that we would allow this use to have open storage without holding them to the same standards as other business was really a concern. So, I mean, this is this is just a a little bit of a glimpse into the garbage that is local government. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, anyway, obviously, DroneUp is is uh, one of the companies that is already testing uh, at Walmart's in Plano. Um, but uh, apparently, at some point, they may have to put up some masonry walls around them. Yeah. <laughs> I see that next paragraph where they say, the company urged city council members to visit their operations to better understand the impact of the wall requirement. Yeah, so here's the fun part. Later in the article, yeah, the visit got canceled. So... This is just par for the course of 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 government and and regulatory industry not taking into consideration or or not taking an interest into what they're actually regulating on, right? So, um, getting folks like the FAA or in this case Plano City Council to come out and say, "Hey, come check out our operation," so we can show you exactly what you're actually legislating on. Uh, it's a great first step to, you know, endearing yourselves to the businesses you're trying to attract to your local economy. And it's just, it's goofy. But so um, <clears throat> Councilman Horn wanted to emphasize that the drones have to fly along streets. So they can't fly, you know, you know, straight from a to b they have to follow the streets but you which is just the goofiest vehicles without yeah which is uh yeah in violation of oop so... uh... <laughs> welcome to the party guys welcome to the party <laughs> anyway um so cancels cancel members uh let's see uh let's see they did uh, cancel the visit. I know that for a fact. Let's see. Um, anyway, uh, council uh, members set up a public meeting for last Tuesday to visit one of the drone. Oh, here you go. For last Tuesday to visit one of the drone hubs, but the meeting was canceled. Uh, Plano City Council was scheduled to discuss potential regulations at Monday's meeting, but it was tabled. <laughs> City Council decided to push the drone discussion until next year, February 26, 2020. Hopefully so. they have a chance to do some more research before yeah. that meeting. I'm hoping so. Rob, can you like go talk to some people in your, in your state, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, hadn't, I hadn't heard about the Plano thing. It, it sounds like they're trying to do like they do with the oil, uh, like with the uh, oil rigs, the oil wells that are out here. Yeah. A lot of the cities have passed the same thing where they have to put like, brick walls around them trying to cover them up where people can't see them so but with drones though i don't really see a i really don't see the the, the correlation between you know massive uh, you know oil refineries facilities and drone delivery 
I mean, meanwhile, and then in Ohio, uh, you got skipjacks in people's front yards. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like literally in their yards. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Don't touch it. That thing makes money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, anywho, um, yeah. This is this is what it's like dealing with government guys, and it, I, I feel bad for these uh, for drone up and, and some of these other companies trying to to navigate this stuff. But at the same time, you know, I'm sure there's somebody making some good money that does this kind of stuff. So, at any rate, that's all I have for this evening's news. Uh, what else do we have, gentlemen? Well, I can start. We've got um, uh, I've mentioned the. Uh standard remote ID work that we're taking on with the new DAC. And that looks like uh, we're adding, we were just added two or three additional companies to uh, the new DAC, uh, individuals hearing about uh, the work that we're doing and volunteering to help. So that's fantastic. One of them is uh, Gabriel Cox and Gabriel is the co-chair of the ASTM remote ID working group. That's a big deal because if you look uh, at the uh, drone a declaration of compliance site and look for the means of compliance, you'll see that there's one, and that's the ASDM uh, document. So uh, Gabriel uh, knows everybody in remote ID and is incredibly knowledgeable. So great addition and, a, and a, another two companies uh, working on that with us. So co-chairing this uh, standard remote ID are Greg Grevendu, uh, founder and owner of, uh, co-founder and owner of uh, Pilot Institute and me. Uh, and us in uh, FPVFC. Uh, in addition, um, I've not made any additional progress, but have not forgotten about uh, New York Assembly Bill A08176. This is by Assemblywoman Fahey, uh, and they are citing the uh, uh, documents. That wasn't a guidance, wasn't an advisory circular, but it was put out by the FAA uh, in July of 2023, and it uh, it 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 seems to weaken the federal preemption between uh, the FAA and local um, municipalities. And they are suggesting that there might be opportunities for local municipalities to uh, restrict uh, drone flights uh, over critical infrastructure. Well, that makes sense. And school grounds, school grounds, no little, no, no airplanes, no model airplanes over school grounds. So that's what we're working on. Um, and uh, that's what I have. <clears throat> So the funny thing is, is the FAA already has uh, a thing, uh, a regulation on critical infrastructure. So we're going to duplicate that or we're just wanting to gonna duplicate it. it. Well, yeah, we've tried. We've made that point uh, to the assembly one that, you know, don't bother on that critical infrastructure part because that's already covered. Right. Um, in the YouTube just, uh, chat, Meet's asking what counts as critical infrastructure. And I believe the FAA actually has a definition of what is critical infrastructure? They do. I forget exactly what it is, but I think it's electrical uh, power plants, water treatment sites, um, yeah. trains. Yeah, trains. No, train tracks. All they have to do is define elementary schools as critical infrastructure and their problems are solved, right? Right. Well, we can get a, a better answer on what uh, that there is a, a set definition by the FAA as to what they term uh, critical infrastructure. Good question. Pulling it right now. So uh, it's uh, military bases designated as DOD facilities, national landmarks, such as Statue of Liberty, Hoover Dam, Mount Rushmore, um, nuclear power plants, um, 
and then FAA is continuing to consider uh, additional requests by eligible federal security agencies for UAS specific flight restrictions as they are received. Um, also flight restrictions or TFRs over some public venues and other locations. So um, definitely Res those as well. Reservoirs for large cities. Mm -hmm. Let's see. And then there's a list of, let's see, there's a map of restricted security sensitive airspace that you can pull up. Let me see. We'll pull it up here. <clears throat> Do, do, do. This is probably just the standard. Uh... So they probably just show up on that map, huh? Is yeah. This the, is this where the free locations might be someday? Someday. The someday could be maybe. Oh yeah, the the UAS uh, delivery service. I have uh, the map is almost ready. Ooh. Yeah. So Alex, my hint. did you that see my hint for that? someone on Discord mentioned they got a that the FAA is going to send them all of the FRIA data? What? I did not hear that. But... Yeah, let's see where. It was in our Discord server somewhere in the last day. So let's go over to. They do that with a FOIA? I think so. Good for, good for them. That's oh, yeah, good. like Bitsbyte said, the FAA accepted and acknowledged my request for all records in the FRIA database. Hopefully I will be able to upload it here soon. That was nice. five o'clock this morning, my time. So, yeah, we'll be, watch we'll be watching that one. Thank they you. also re requested again the list of UAS accident reports. Uh, hopefully, they're <laughs> going to have that too. <laughs> Good luck there you go, the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, we've been at we've been at that <clears> one for <throat> four years. With I think it's over twenty FOIA requests for the uh, incident, true incident reports. We know yeah. there are uh, as of. 2021, count them, six. <laughs> no fatalities. Well, you know. Yeah, when yeah. is flying without remote ID going to become an incident report? There you go. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you uh, look at uh, the FAA UAS facility maps, uh, you can pull up uh, critical infrastructure. Anything with red is going to be um, restricted on there and uh it'll give you the reasons why so obviously this one's national security for the statue of liberty um don't want anybody I mean, to I don't spy know. on that well yeah i was about to say like what's national security i mean maybe, it makes sense maybe. to have it a no-fly zone but the reason's a little bit odd <laughs> what is that you statue know. of liberty doing that they don't want people what's to know hiding <laughs> the french connection Let's start a conspiracy theory here. All right. It's all, that, <laughs> it's all that copper. They're afraid of the copper being removed and sold. Oh, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of like an air conditioner, but not. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what do you got going on, buddy? Uh, well, I can show you guys what I'm where I'm currently at with the Freya map. If yeah, you absolutely. want to see that. Uh, yes, please. Kill my, kill my presentation here. All right. Let's... Uh... Your screen, and uh, that's uh, where we're at so far. Um, this Ooh. is this isn't an interactive map yet. Uh, I'll this is just the map that I'm turning in for my project. Uh, so this isn't the one that will be out there for people to interact with. But this is kind of just a general 
locate uh, general where FRIAs are. So blue is AMA, green is FBVFC, and red is STEM plus C. Don't have FTCA yet, um, but the state with the most FRIAs currently is Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> and the state with the um, lowest uh, FRIA to, uh, or with the lowest uh, people per FRIA, uh, or at least drone pilots per FRIA, recreational drone pilots per FRIA, is New Hampshire. Hmm. Really? 1,500 something people per FRIA. Perfect North ratio. Dakota looks like it's got like three in it. Couple on the state boundaries. Well, it it's based <laughs> off the population, so that's why um, it's a little bit. That's why it's less. I think Pennsylvania is ranked fourth or something for that. But yep, nice. FPVFC is pretty much on the East Coast with our Frias, so. and then we got Dan's over yep. in... over in Minnesota. That's as far west as they get. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Uh, Step with awesome. C's all the way over on the West Coast with Arizona and Washington. Yep. Uh, but I have an yeah, application in Puerto Rico. Have an application for one in Texas. Nice. Very but, cool. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, in two Puerto in Rico. It was, and two in Hawaii. Excellent. Yep. None in the uh, not in the Virgin Islands, so. Or Guam, none in Guam. Yeah. Uh, none there either. Interesting. And who, this is cool. who did the, whose is the Alaska one? That's blue. That's there's AMA. three of them there. Yep. Three AMAs three in Alaska. Alaska for AMA. Yeah. Golly. Um, there's a couple states with, well, uh, I think there's one state with not. No, never mind. Least, oh, yeah. Virgin Islands and D.C. don't have any. <laughs> that makes sense <laughs> for D.C. and the, yeah. the freeze. It does um, not make sense in the Virgin Islands, but that's fine. They, you know. They don't care. Yeah. <laughs> no, so they probably are like, yeah, no, we don't care. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I think California is second for um, number of Frias in the state. But let me see where. No, I have the chart. Nice work. That's cool. Oh, yeah. And so this uh, is a, a project that you're doing for college? Uh, yes, the GIS project. Very cool. And your objective is to put this up? Hopefully. So yeah, uh, hopefully I'll put it on online version so people can go to it and find Frias near them. Excellent. And as soon as you do the next day, then the FAA will finally get their act together and put their data up. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's just how it'll go. This is, well, the goal is to get this up within the first two weeks of December. And uh, that's at least a month or two before the FAA's estimate of when they'll get theirs up nice and the, and the uh, uas facilities map i i have for, yeah, i'm sure it's something i do but it crashes just every, you know you you blow it up you blow it up you zoom in zoom in ah, crashes okay yeah. reinstall it blow it, zoom in zoom in zoom in poof so if it if you just have something that doesn't crash that will be an enormous improvement <laughs> Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to take this question. Meet's asking, why are AMA free is apparently getting approved at such a faster rate? They aren't. It's just how many they've applied for. I would also say that a lot of the ones that we started applying for were rejected. 
till we sort of figured out what they were not going to approve, which would be people's backyard Frias. Mm -hmm. uh, the FAA is more inclined to approve the existing AMA sites, which there were a lot of. So that's kind of why there's a lot 20, of AMA spots. 2,600 2, AMA sites and five full-time people in AMA working on, on processing um, applications. And then they've got that, that all gets farmed out as an AMA member. I was one of the guys who filled out the information that then uh, the, some good soul up in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, Indianapolis just uh, took the data, put it into a form and sent it on to DC. So uh, we did a fair, you know, there, there is a you know, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people across the country helping out for each of those 2,600 uh, sites. Mm -hmm. And you also don't have the FTCA free as on there yet, which would add quite a few more. Mm -hmm. Right. Do we know how many there they have I, now? I don't. I apologize. I should know that. <laughs> Come on, Dave. You've worked there all two weeks now. I know. I know. <laughs> it reports to me. So, I mean, it really does. Uh, that's it's not a not not kidding. The uh, the FTCA does report to me under my heading of uh, interim CEO flight test. I'll be curious if you can get the data uh, from the that FOIA request and how you know with more yeah. data. Yeah. What we that would include um, denials, college collegiate ones, or well, education. or educational educational institutions. I don't have. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Good point. Absolutely. You're going to run out of colors. <laughs> well, I'll just have educational institutions all as one color. Yeah, and yeah, certainly the, if we can get the denials, that will be. I mean, I you know, I, I bet it will reinforce what we have found. So the but closest the, I've found between two frias is less than a mile. Wow, that's amazing. And so we know nine three miles. Yeah, we know in the AC which one was it eighty nine dash three on Frias that they were like, don't not too close. We may not, you know, we may deny if you're too close. So that's great news that they're at least uh, not uh, exerting that denial. Well, maybe it's because they don't have their map yet. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read. Sorry. <laughs> you can't read coordinates or or they assigned them out yeah, one, two guy different here, people. one guy over here that actually could have happened yeah, because the yeah, the, uh, the faa said obvious. they put what was it 35 people on this now i'm sure that's not full-time but and we were pretty sure that it's across the country so it very well could be that two different people processed free applications for a mile or so apart Mm -hmm. But what's going to be interesting is in four years when they have to renew, will they then see that these are right next to each other and be like, eh, we're not going to renew one of these. And then they're Which like, oh, there's this be... one that's next to this one. And then there's this one's next to this one. And then they're both denied. Right. <laughs> right. Jesus. Yeah. Watch out, guys. I can see that happening. Either yeah, that or really just figure out how to merge, really your, merge your Frias into one big one. Yeah. Well, I was thinking you take a park, but where you can't make a free over sidewalks or buildings, you like make six different frias all in one park, just every little spot that's not a sidewalk or a building. Yep. Yeah, there are a number of clubs that a number of clubs have done just that because they've got you know, roads and things like that that drive through their their playing field. Yeah. So 
Yeah. No. Yeah. So th those are some of the tips I think that we've talked about before. When you, if you're sending us uh, an application, we've got a checklist uh, on our website, uh, uh, which is the information we will ask you for. Um, we'll be happy to process uh, free applications, and that's any one of us on the call. And um, uh, we do ask that you that you become a member of FPVFC. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the, the couple of things that we've learned is don't put enter the coordinates for the flying area only no roads no parking lots no bleachers no buildings no sheds nothing just flying area and if you're sharing a, a flying field with some other activity like football or soccer or football football um so figure out some way where you are communicating that there's no way that you'll be flying during those games and communicate that in addition, the other thing that is critical is to, to articulate that uh, drones or UAS have been flying uh, at this location for some period of time, usually years, to demonstrate good safety as well as to make sure that uh, this is a location that really does not need an uh, e, uh, PEA, Programmatic Environmental Assessment. Oh, barf which can kick <laughs> off an EIS, an environmental impact study, which you really don't want. And so, I'm pretty sure it seems like if a drone has flown there in the past is all it takes to say this is, yeah, it's not a new space. Field, right, no one's <laughs> complaining, right? Yeah. Oh, geez. Good stuff. Nice work, Alex. Thanks, thanks for doing that. And uh, thank you for... Uh, uh, you know, in advance for getting that up and making that uh, available to folks. And I have a sneaking suspicion that the user interface will be better than the uh, what the FAA comes up with. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Low it's like, bar. don't put pressure on me. Low, low bar. <laughs> All right, Dan, what you got? Anything for us? This oh, evening? not a whole lot right now. Uh, I've done a little bit of testing with some flying around with remote ID modules, but nothing nothing major yet. Um, I, I was wondering if anybody has done more research on the changes coming in, proposed changes in Europe that Blunty posted about uh, the other day, where uh, I, I don't know if any of you read any of it. I just saw the, the snippets that he was talking about, like uh, remote ID is basically coming for all drones, especially anything over 250 grams, but even anything under 250 grams, if it has a camera on it, uh, what? They have, over in some other countries, they've got these issues where if it has a camera, suddenly it's a bigger issue with safety for some reason. It and must security. be spying on people. Um, right. So if it's got a camera, even if it's 50 grams and you're flying a little tiny whip in your backyard, it's got to have compliant remote ID on it. Uh, at least that's what it it looks right. like according to what he was talking about. So. Right. And so this is CASA? Is that right? Uh, and so with the Civil Air Authority in UK, that this is CAA, yeah. CAA, not CASA, that's the European wide. So this is really important because the FAA shares uh, their regulations around the world and Europe, uh, Western Europe is, uh, you know, in particular. So if sometimes we're more regulatory and sometimes uh, the EU is, but, you know, the way things are headed, I should say, the EU and the UK, um, nod to Brexit, but the uh, it's important that 
if we keep an eye on what's going on in Europe, chances are that could uh, find its way over here. We hope not. Micro, you know, oh. tiny, tiny whoops. Incredible. This is coming from SUAS News here. So drone users urged to respond to significant consultation on proposals to develop regulation. So consultation on proposals, this is kind of like our our uh, notification of rulemaking, uh, uh, notification of proposed rulemaking. So consultation on proposals to make it easier for drone users to fly safely and meet regulatory requirements is now open. The consultation closes on the 10th of January, 2024. Proposals are based on feedback from the drone community on previous calls for input and input from the Department of Transport, Home Office, and the police. Proposals include the introduction of product requirements, extension of flyer ID training to users of drones under 250 grams, introduction of remote ID, and extension of the time period to adopt new drones by two years. Uh, the UK Civil Aviation Authority has today signaled proposals designed to make drone flights safer and make it easier for drone users to understand and comply with regulation. I love how it's to make it easier. And um, safer. Yeah. safer, safer Add 15 things to safer than what yeah exactly um so let's see uh among the changes proposed simplifying regulations by reducing complexity and operational requirements in the open category renaming operational subcategories to over near and far and removing confusing exemptions for toy drones um, increasing education and understanding of regulations by requiring flyers of drones under 250 grams to take free online flyer ID test, increasing the guidance and information digitally provided to users via their drone controllers and displays, improving our guidance material, improving drone safety and security by implementing product standards for drones through a system of class marking. Enabling safe and secure airspace through introduction of remote ID, geo-awareness, and geofencing functionality for certain categories of drones. So, hey. Yeah, uh, hopefully lots of people it's comment on that guys. and make changes. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, they've done a good job of uh, <laughs> damping and uh, making it really difficult to fly model airplanes in the UK. So mm -hmm. the the whole hobby, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, where when we formed, people were like, the hobby's dead, the hobby's dead. Well, you know, they're, they're doing a good job of that in the UK with model airplanes, so. Uh, and Josh, you mentioned toy drones, which reminded mm -hmm. me of something I found. Uh -oh. uh, let's see, uh, this window there. We can share this, which I'm not quite sure how I feel about this, but I saw an ad show for the Skyfire target drone. Which basically oh, wow. is teaching kids to shoot drones out of the sky. With Nerf guns. I love it. That's Nerf awesome. guns or gel blasters. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, oh, it, it sounds like fun, but also you're teaching kids to shoot aircraft out of the sky. So yeah, that's like a good deal. Is this that's over 250 good. grams? Does it have standard remote ID on it? Does it need it? I, it flies on its own. Oh. Who's the pilot? I, I, there's a lot of questions there. Mm. Wow. <laughs> wow. So all I want to know is, is it a network device and does the information go back to China? It is Bluetooth enabled to your smartphone. So theoretically, it's gotta, it's sure. Catch score somehow, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So operators are standing by. Order yours now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right, uh, Rob. Anything from your side of the the world over there? No, the only excitement I've got going on. Um, uh, I've been working with several people to design some adapters for DJI antennas, where we can plug them into uh, basically 2.4, 5.8 signal boosters. That way we can get signal outside of vehicles, uh, you know, to give a Faraday cage effect. Now, of course, you know, you have VO considerations too. You got to put people where they can see the aircraft. But um, I've been working with a guy in Canada and two guys here stateside, U.S. And uh, we've got several prototypes now. So that's kind of cool and exciting. This basically DJI makes proprietary antenna connections. So it's, you got to get creative to get that feed out of it. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool. And yeah. hopefully that's a hopefully they keep it the same from version to version on their uh, firmware. Yeah, chasing firmware and reverse engineering that is a headache. Well, the the output the the two point four five point eight always stays the same. It's just every time they come out with a new aircraft, they change the antenna connection. That's the one I meant. Yep. Mm-hmm. On the aircraft or on the controller? The controller. Okay. So on the older aircraft that had permanent antennas, we had to modify them and put QMA connections on them. Uh, you have to disassemble them, take them apart, and, you know, put new pop-on, pop-off connections. Uh, with the new ones, they have removable. So essentially, it's a 3D print with, uh, with an MCX microflex connector inside of it that uh, cool. meets up to the controller. Cool. That does sound like fun. That does, yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, I, I, I just want to uh, just yeah. uh, one last comment. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I try to uh, watch what's going on in our Discord channels, and I just want to thank there are a number of folks on uh, t- this evening who uh, answer questions for other folks who are on the channel. And my thank you uh, to all of you who do that. Uh, the attitude and intent is just fantastic. It's helpful. And needless to say, the technical depth on uh, these channels uh, in FPVFC is significant and it's it's a lot deeper than uh, I can see elsewhere. So thank you, thanks for the support, thanks for helping out uh, FPVFC fellow members as well as folks who are just on there to look look for some help and they're getting good respect and good help. So thank you. Absolutely, it's it's great that 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 Discord is built into what it's built into and that the amount of uh, helpful people are awesome on there. So keep it up, guys. We we do appreciate it. All right. Uh, I think with that, thank you for joining us this evening. And uh, we'll give you back the rest of your evening. And we'll see you in another couple of weeks. And look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Have a great night.